Hello music and movie fans, this is Sutton, your host on Sutton on Cinema and Sound, and I'm joined here today by my mother. Hi everybody, I'm Kim, we're looking forward to discussing a new album with you. <laughs> well, not really new, yeah, go it, ahead, In Sutton. fact, it is from 1967, <laughs> it is from one of my favorite art- music artists of all time, this is Pink Floyd's The Piper at the Gates of Dawn. And when was this uh, recorded? Uh, I think I already said it was released in 1967. I assume it was recorded around that time. This is, as I've mentioned, Pink Floyd's very first album, but they were already well established for, uh, as, like, a live band at the time. Yeah, and I was so interested how Piper at the Gates of Dawn got its name. There There was a novel called The Wind of Willows, and it refers to the nature of God Pan, who plays his pan pipes at dawn. Yeah, Sid Barrett was actually the one who came up with that title. It is one he said that that is one of his favorite books that he read during his childhood. And so I've I've mentioned Sid Barrett. He's definitely the leading force on this album. For example, on the, on he actually designed the back cover, which is a very like interesting psychedelic drawing of some kind of creature that looks like it's it's a, like a few people possibly representing the bandmates fused together. I also mentioned psych- how it's psychedelic, and psychedelic is definitely the main genre of this album. Yeah, it almost looks like a shadow of everybody, doesn't it? Yeah. Speaking of Sid Barrett, he's the primary uh, songwriter on the album, isn't he? He is. This album has a total of 11 songs mm-hmm. on it, and he writes a total of eight of them. Okay, and then two tracks were done by the entire band, and one was done... done uh, by Roger Waters. That's right. We've discussed Roger Waters mm-hmm. at great length when we reviewed the other album, which uh, we've reviewed, which is The Dark Side of the Moon. That's right. And Roger Waters on that album wrote most of the songs. He wrote, all well, he did write most of the music, but he wrote all of the lyrics. That was definitely uh, his, his like, creation. Okay, great. Well, do you want to dive into this one? I would love to. Uh, do you have any particular song you want to start with or idea? No, why don't you go ahead and okay. dive into how it's a psychedelic uh, theme throughout the album, isn't it? Yeah, of course. So I, I think that's one thing that really, a big contrast between this mm-hmm. album and The Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, both are definitely prog rock genre-wise, but this one is more psychedelic. Uh, 1967 was like the big year of psychedelic music, which just really kicked off with uh, uh, Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band by the Beatles. I think one example of that is definitely in terms of the lyrics. Uh, like both albums, this uh, Piper of the Ga- at the Gates of Dawn and uh, The Dark Side of the Moon have, I guess, kind of descriptive, seemingly metaphorical lyrics, but uh, the Dark Side of the Moon, it's very clear like, where the themes are and what the metaphors are. An example of that is one, and within one of my favorite lyrics from The Dark Side of the Moon, Time. Those lyrics are, And then one day, fine ten years have got behind you, no one told you to run, you missed the starting gun. I think it's kind of clear that it's a metaphor for time, and you missed the starting gun, so reverence to a race, which normally starts with the firing of a gunshot, and it's just talking about, like, not to, to take advantage of every time and not to, I guess, just fall behind on things in life. Uh, 
But then, meanwhile, on the Piper of the Gates of Yang, which, within the Sid Barrett song, on chapter 24, the lyrics go, A movement is accomplished in six stages. The seventh brings return. The seventh is the number of the young light. It forms when darkness is increased by one. That makes... It sounds philosophical and metaphorical, but it's... A lot of the lyrics are very ambiguous that it seems like they, they can't really have any real meaning to the listener. And it's not a criticism, necessarily. A lot of the lyrics on this album, by the comparison, they go for, I guess, really big on, they're really big on imagination and imagery, which I think they really succeed at. The other thing I heard, though, is that Sid... Um... Barrett, his LSD use increased throughout the recording of the album. So then I kind of read the lyrics and I thought, does that kind of explain it? You uh, know, the lack of meaning there. Yeah, you... again, I don't think... Yeah, I think the, the, some, many of the lyrics are definitely influenced by, I guess, some of like, the LSD imagery. Mm -hmm. Even the album cover is actually... I learned she's supposed to kind of simulate something that you may see when LSD, which is, is it clearly starts out as normal photos with the four members, but it's almost, I guess, cross-faded with itself three or four times so that each member appears like three or four times on the album cover itself. Yes, it's an interesting cover. Yeah. Another way in which it's Barrett's personality, I think, really shines through his songwriting is... Uh, a lot of the songs kind of demonstrate almost childlike obsession with, I guess, just objects and just a childlike view of the world that sur surrounds us all. Uh, examples include Lucifer Sam, which is a, a song written about a Siamese cat and bike, and which I think is a song I'd like to get to more l later, and Scarecrow, and Probably one of my favorites that demonstrates this, which is The Gnome. Which, I think The Gnome, why, that's probably one of my favorite examples of this is, it almost gives me, like, Alice in Wonderland vibes. Just, like, a lot of these kind of fun little rhymes, like, whining, dining, bidding his time, and then one day, hooray. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a very exciting take on, like, a old kind of thing like a children's fantasy tale. You also mentioned how the songs are co-written by all four of the members. Uh, and these two, what these two songs have in common are that they're both instrumental tracks. Uh, the first of this is uh, almost kind of a hard name to remember. It is Pow R Talk H. What this song really demonstrates is how uh, the members sometimes throughout this album will use their own voices as almost kind of like sound effects and instruments. Uh, like, just going and they'll just kind of... I'm sure that they... I can picture them having fun just making these different sound effects with their voices. And I think Power Talk H really demonstrates this. And there were actually a couple moments on this album where I was a little worried about you listening just because I thought they were they would be a little too far out to for your liking or you may be confused by them. One of this was the other instrumental, Interstellar Overdrive, 
This is the song that kicks off Side Q on the original vinyl release. And is that the one that was 10 minutes long? It is nearly 10 minutes long. (laughs) I think more exactly it is 9 minutes 40 seconds. And I wasn't sure if you would get turned off by a long song, especially if it is an an instrumental. I enjoyed it and I felt like there were different components to the song. The middle of it just kind of, I felt like each you know instrumentalists just kind of did their own thing and then you explain that is that kind of what happened yeah I, was... I think i read at uh recently that mm-hmm. love demo section is improvised but i don't think they could actually like almost surprised when i told you this yeah. because it doesn't seem come off as like amateurish no i guess it works like you wouldn't think that it wasn't super obvious yeah although the beginning and ending of the song start off with a very tight guitar riff and clear strong composition mm-hmm. and then i really love how the beginning of the song after that it like the instruments sort of die down and then eventually it's just this one kind of beeping noise and then it, it, the rest of it it's the middle section is very laid back there are also a lot of effects with the stereo stereo work which is really impressive for 1967 because stereo was still kind of a new novelty at the time and you mentioned the middle section how it, it doesn't sound repetitive just by its length i agree it paints i feel like some really beautiful soundscapes are really painted uh in the middle section and they're really diverse i think if you take one minute of the song and then you jump to the next minute they will sound completely different and the other song where I was a little worried about what he would think uh, is the final album Klosner Bike, which I think really demonstrates uh, Barrett's kind of signature composition skills. I'm. This was, I believe, my favorite uh, song on the album. Yeah, so one of the reasons why I was a little concerned... Yeah, why were you worried? <laughs> uh, because a lot of the lyrics are just so, I think, bizarre and childlike. Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, I know a mouse, and he hasn't got a house. I don't know why I call him Gerald. <laughs> and then, I've got a clan of gingerbread men. Here, a man. There, a man. Lots of gingerbread men. <laughs> it, I think it is the, definitely the best song on the album to close the album off, though. Uh, I think Barrett's, songwri- Barrett's songwriting is just completely... It's not... There's no cap on that. It's just completely... It just completely breaks free all of his kind of childlike views of the world and mad obsessions. They're completely run wild. Uh, and you mentioned how this is your favorite song on the album. Uh, I feel like my favorite song changes each time I listen to this album. I think uh, I've mentioned how overall the album is in genre psychedelic rock and prog rock, but each song feels, I guess, very diverse, both I think lyric-wise, and uh, I think in terms of the melodies, there are some very... I think each song offers some really catchy, interesting melodies throughout. I think my favorite this time, though, was definitely Interstellar Overdrive. Uh, I think I've given Interstellar Overdrive for a lot of amounts of praise already. It's important to also mention how there is a lot of uh, important Pink Floyd history within this album. Uh, I mentioned we've mentioned how this is during Barry led Pink Floyd, while the other album that we listened to is Roger Waters' era Pink Floyd. Roger Waters is on this album, but he only writes one song, which is uh, 
the sixth track, Kick Up by Skethoscope and Walk. Uh, personally, I, th I think it's a good song, and it doesn't really feel out of place on the album. Uh, now, a reason why the, that big shift occurred in band members is uh, there, there were a lot of different theories about what happened to Sid Barrett, but uh, he, he's always been hailed as like, a creative genius. Uh, unfortunately, at the time, some say it was his drug obsession, and he kept overdosing. Others say that he actually had undiagnosed schizophrenia, but eventually he just grew to, I guess, it was too frustrating to really work with him, both on live on stage and in the, in the studio. So uh, the band member Scott gave Gilmore originally as a second guitarist, but eventually he it became clear that he was his replacement. And Sid Barrett left the band. It was a tragic moment for the band, both to for any band, I think, to really le to lose your like your lead creative driving force, and also since Sid Barrett was Roger Waters' probably best childhood friend, it's really I think incredible that a band can like lose your their I guess lead songwriter and then. Uh, and then be reinvented at within a different so songwriter. And if anything, Pink Floyd only grew more in popularity after Roger Waters stepped up. Although there was kind of a notorious transition period where they were really had to try finding themselves again after losing such this this very valued contributor in Sid Barrett. Some of the band members did maintain communication with Sid after they left. Sid actually came out with a couple of solo albums of his own, which were co-produced by, uh, I, I think some of the Pink Floyd members, although I forgot exactly which ones. I believe they were Roger Waters and David Gilmore, which was ironically his replacement, although they were already childhood friends, David and Sid. Eventually, communication died down. I think complete the last time they communicated for a long while was 1973, uh, but then they were recording uh, an, an album night called Wish You Were Here in 1975. And on that album, they were recording a song called Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Uh, ironically, this song was actually about uh, Sid Barrett himself. And many believe that the title of that album, Wish You Were Here, was kind of talking about Sid because this was after Dark's, this was their next album after Dark Side of the Moon was released, so... Uh, and I think a lot of them were kind of feeling bad about Sid, and... Just kind of wishing that he were there experiencing them feeling like they were on top of the world again. Uh, but then, while they were recording the song, this man walked in, and he was completely bald. He shaved his hair, as well as his eyebrows, and they generally know... I think some of them just assumed that he was a friend of the others, but eventually they figured out that it was Sibirit. And uh, I, I encourage you to look up a photo of him while he was visiting the studio because he looks like completely different and transformed and yeah. Yeah, you would never recognize that it was him. Looks like a totally different guy. <laughs> yeah, and he just did strange things like he would brush his teeth and... 
just like walks the band and they asked him what he thought of the song they were recording mm-hmm. and he just said something like oh it sounds old, a bit old mm-hmm. and just completely lost it after I don't know whether it's mental illness or the overdose and drugs that really uh, kind of made him like lose just made him a shadow of his past self and yeah he lived young to be a he lived young like a very reclusive lifestyle until he sadly passed away in 2006 uh and generally you said he was never married or yeah he was the only member to remain a lifelong bachelor although he was briefly married with i think uh-huh. in the late six no briefly engaged okay. in the late 60s when uh just before he really uh i think his much illness really took off it's probably one of the saddest track track the tragedy tragedies and uh music history uh a lot of people have cited his influence both in like this album and his two solo albums like david bowie uh for example uh and it's kind of sad wondering what could have been uh had he kept you know an active been stayed active in the music industry and just had you know maintained this wonderful person that all of his bandmates have said that he was. Yeah, it seems like he was a really talented guy. Uh, of course, I think this is a very solid effort for a debut album. I think just because Sid Barrett was feel- really feeling confident in his songwriting uh, and just creative abilities. Uh, of course, Pink Floyd later had really reinvent itself, but yeah, I think this doesn't sound like a more premature version of the band that made Dark Side of the Moon. It just sounds like a very different mm-hmm. uh, band. They, they, this still sounds very... This album sounds very well-polished and well-thought-out for a de- debut album. Uh, yeah, so I think to conclude, it's... Yeah, really astounding piece achievement for, I think, 1967 and... Definitely one of my favorite Pink Floyd albums of all time, even if it's very different from, I think, what would come later. I agree. I encourage everybody to give it a listen and go buy it if you're inclined to do so. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for joining us today. And this is Sun on Cinema and Sound. Bye-bye.